0: continuing our series on uh, the gifts of the Spirit, um, on uh, gifts that God gives us for ministry. And last week we just sort of laid an introduction um, to the whole topic. This morning and next week I want to talk about a certain class, a certain segment of those spiritual gifts. And the passage I want to use to do that is found in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bibles there you can turn to that, or it's also found in the bulletins. Paul introduces this chapter in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, by calling these particular gifts pneumaticoi in Greek. It's translated spiritual gifts or spiritual things from the Greek word pneumos, which means spirit. And the gifts that we're going to be talking about this morning and next week are distinct from other sorts of gifts in that these are distinctly supernatural gifts. That's why I think Paul uses that special word for them. They're what are sometimes called occasional gifts because they're given by God to the church through a person for a particular time, for a particular reason. In that sense, they're distinct from other gifts that Paul talks about that are sometimes called occasional gifts. residential gifts or or, uh, aptitude gifts because they relate more to a a person's personality like the gift of encouragement or the gift of hospitality or the gift of mercy Uh, those are gifts that are tied more closely to a person's natural created constitution these gifts are not one is not more important than the other they're all important though this classification of gifts has been much more controversial so I want to spend um, a couple of weeks talking about them. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 7. And as I go through these, I know next week I'll talk about these in, 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 in more detail, in a more particular way, and talk about how they can be used in our life. This morning, it'll be more general, so I'm just going to give a little one-sentence definition uh, to one or two-sentence definitions to each one as I'm reading through this passage. Paul says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Note there that these gifts are not primarily personal blessing things. These gifts are for the common good. They're actually gifts to other people. God, the gift comes to the person that you're ministering to, not to you. You are being used to give the gift. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, or the Greek could have a word of wisdom simply a supernaturally given piece of insight through a person to resolve a conflict. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. This is a, a supernaturally given piece of information that the Holy Spirit supplies to a person to help them pray, to help them minister, to help them operate. To another, faith by the same spirit. This is the gift of faith, a pneumaticoi. It's not just the general faith that Christians in general have. This is a special, supernaturally inspired certainty about some promise of God. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. The ability to pray for somebody in a particular place with a particular illness and to see that person healed. That's the gift of healing. To another, miraculous powers. The ability to pray for something other than healing and see supernatural results, as when Jesus uh, told the storm to to stop and, and it was stilled. To another, prophecy. This is simply a a word of exhortation or edification that God wants a person or a group of people to have and gives it to a person to share with them. A word of prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits or discerning spirits. A very important gift. The ability to discern what is really going on behind the scenes in terms of spiritual warfare. Be able to sense when something is of God and sense when something is not of God or maybe something is absolutely demonic, though it maybe on the surface looks like it is of God. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, glossolalia, languages. The ability to pray on one's own in a language that, that uh, you have not learned, or the ability to speak a message to a group of people in, in a foreign language that is to be interpreted. It's a supernatural thing. It's not simply the ability to learn languages. It's a supernaturally given kind of a thing. And finally, to still another, the interpretation of tongues. When someone gives a message in tongues that's for a group of people, this is a, a supernatural, supernaturally given ability of a person to understand what that person who's speaking in a language that you don't naturally know, you can understand what they're saying, and then you interpret it for the congregation. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them, he gives them to each one just as he determines. Let's pray. Lord, this is... Uh, vital stuff for us, but it's also tough stuff for us, Lord, because there have been many people that have been hurt by what goes under the name of these gifts, and for many of us this is kind of scary stuff, but I pray, God, that you'd make this a real safe context for us to grow into the reality of these gifts. Because, Lord, you have purchased them for us on the cross of Calvary by, van- by, by vanquishing the enemy. And you intend us to have these, and to use them, and to grow by them. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit would really be here. And make it a tender thing, make it a safe thing, make it a secure thing. And give us insight into your word on how to go about developing these gifts. In your name we pray. Amen. A lot of you know, are familiar with the charismatic Movement. Charismatic movement. Maybe some of you aren't. The charismatic movement, the title comes from uh, the Greek word charisma, which is also another word for gift. And the charismatic movement is that movement within Christendom which believes that the gifts that we talked about here uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 are for today. That the church should be operating with the, uh, the gift of a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or, or tongues or the interpretation of tongues or prophecy. And that's what's usually called the charismatic movement. The word is an explosive word, and, and I, I don't, that's why I don't like to characterize my own theology or, or this place as being charismatic or non-chrismatic. When somebody asks, oh, is that a charismatic church, I have no idea what they're really talking about because I don't know what, 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 what meaning they put into that word. Some are wanting you to say yes because they think that's a good thing. Others think that it's a terrible thing, and if you say yes, then they're going to run the other direction. For a lot of people, this is scary stuff. And, and the reasons why people are sometimes afraid of this are, are sort of understandable, pretty understandable. To a large degree, people's fear of these supernatural gifts, these pneumaticoi, can come from uh, just not knowing what they're about. You've never seen them, you've never heard of them, they never taught about it in your church, and so it seems kind of scary, it seems kind of spooky, kind of uh, strange, you know, and, and, and you'd rather kind of stay away from it. I was in a, in a retreat one time uh, where, as it just turns out, and this will be spooky to some of you too, but I'm not going to explain it now. Just take, just take it at surface value. Uh, there's a, a young lady there who uh, was demonized. And there's about seven or eight of us that were praying for this young lady that was, that was really obviously, overtly, explicitly demonized. And we were praying for hours and hours. Uh, about two in the morning, one of the people praying for this young lady began to speak in tongues. Um, and she had never spoken in tongues before; but it just sort of happened. She wasn't even sure what it was about, but it was God was just all over the place, pouring out gifts, and and it was a God thing. But the the girl next to her, who was also a Christian, praying for the demonized girl, didn't know what it was, and she thought that the demon came out of the young girl and got into her. And so here we're praying for this young lady, and she turns and starts praying for her friend, "Come out, no, be loose! you know, all that kind of stuff. And I had to kind of try to explain to her that no, th- this is a God thing, but it's like. If you don't know any better, you don't know what to make of this stuff. It's too weird. It's too strange. It's it's kind of scary. Maybe maybe it's demonic. Other people, and I understand this completely, associate all this kind of supernatural stuff with with crass sensationalism, with flakiness, carnival Christianity, because this kind of stuff has been imitated in kind of a carnival way by self-serving charlatans to promote their own business. Some of you maybe have seen the movie Leap of Faith. Have you seen the movie Leap of Faith? It, 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 it's, 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 it's offensive on the one hand, but it's a pretty good show on the other hand. And in the end, God wins. But I always read theology in the movies, so don't take my word for it, but go see it. But it's, uh, it's an interesting show. But it's about a guy who does what a lot of TV evangelists have done. He mimics these supernatural gifts for his own purpose. He's got, you know, smoke coming out. I thought about trying that sometimes. Let's have a little smoke and some mirrors. And I should wear one of those silver outfits and come up there and, yeah, yes, yeah, so someone's going to be healed today, and he's got something planted in his ear, a little radio transmitter, and, and then he, he has people out in the audience finding out you know, who their doctor is, what their ailment is, and then he pretends like he gets a word from God and says, somebody here, and Mrs. Jones is here with a bleeding ulcer, and your doctor, Dr. Kamazuki, says that there's no hope, but God knows that there's hope. And, and Sister Jones, or whatever I said her name was, she gets all excited, thinking that God's got her number and runs down there. And it's all a charade, it's all flaky, it's all sensationalism. And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, then the whole thing is just a bunch of make-believe, Put on by a bunch of charlatans for a bunch of credulous people. And I can understand that reaction. I, I get a, a real sense of disgust when I see that. Sometimes these things are associated with, manip- uh, with uh, manipulation. People have been manipulated by, by some of these gifts. Uh, the church I was first saved in was kind of this radical Pentecostal church, and it was standard stuff. They believed that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not even saved. And so you'd have people coming forward uh, trying to get saved, Look at that! Trying to get saved, but they'd be trying to speak in tongues, and there'd be people around them grabbing their jaw, saying, "Come on, loosen up that jaw! Say hallelujah, or something crazy like that." Come see my maroon bow tie and ride my economy Yamaha, or, and crazy stuff. Trying to teach them how to speak in tongues. <laughs> Let's a little with. And you see that you see that stuff, and you go, "Oh, that's not of God. That's just human stuff. That's garbage. I don't want anything to do with it." You can understand that. Sometimes these gifts have been have have been used for people who are trying to uh, get power control from it. Uh, yeah, I was in a church one time where a lady stood up, and she was uh, belonged to a group. In this, this is an unhealthy church, but. There's two groups in this church. One was on the board and one wasn't on the board, and the one that wasn't on the board was always trying to get on the board, and they took turns in the whole history of this church doing that. And a lady stood up and gave a prophecy about how bad the board was. Then another person stood up who belonged to the other group and gave a prophecy against that person's prophecy, which God gave rise to another person who stood up and gave a pseudo-prophecy against that person's prophecy against that person's prophecy. And before you know it, we had eight or nine people standing up hollering at each other in the name of God. and and then we had had converted a whole band of gypsies, uh, 35 gypsies or so, and and they all stood up and I don't know whose side they were on, but they started running around the church screaming and then uh, one of the people on staff tried to get everyone to sing a song, you know (laughs) peace, peace wonderful peace, and we got mass pandemonium and I was the the, uh, um, uh, fill-in pastor for this church, and so it was really a Harrowing experience. But you see that and you go, no, this is just. Actually, I was laughing because it was so funny. <laughs> this church blowing apart in front of you, you know. As so as this was done, I said, I want to welcome all uh, first timers here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you tired of the same old church stuff? That's <laughs> something a little different. Well, you see that and you go, ah, get away from me. Just get out of my face. And then sometimes there have been people who have walked with these gifts or what looked like the gifts, and they've had a really arrogant attitude towards them, a real sort of spiritual superiority complex. Because, you see, I speak in tongues and you don't, and that means my prayers are more effective than your prayers. You don't really know how to pray. I've got the Holy Spirit and you don't, or whatever. There are people who think that every thought they ever thunk was of God, and so when they tell you some advice, they don't just say, well, my opinion is, they say, thus saith the Lord. And you see that kind of stuff and you go, no, I don't want it. So I can understand some of the reservations that that people have about this spiritual pneumaticoi gift stuff. It's understandable. I can see how someone, though I don't agree with this, but I can see how someone would say, I don't want to talk about it. There are groups that say that, you know, this isn't for us. I don't want anything to do with this. But then also with those groups that reject these spiritual gifts, often there's ulterior motives there too. For some, it's a thing of pride. You see, if you believe that your church tradition has got the corner on God, you have all God's truth and nothing but God's truth, and you hear about some spiritual gifts occurring here and there, but you're not in the gifts, rather than admit that maybe there's something that God has for his people that you don't have, they take a stand and say, well, that's not of God because we don't have it. That's a spiritual pride thing. Sometimes it's a control thing. An ulterior motive of control. Control. You see, if people begin to move in these gifts, that means that the body of Christ, the laity, begin to have ministry. They begin to do very important God stuff. But if your understanding is sort of the traditional understanding that the God stuff is supposed to be reserved for the spiritual elite, the religious guild, the fathers, the priests, the ministers, the holy men or women of God, if that's your view, then that's threatening to you. To have people who really can hear from God and move in the gifts and and be used of God in powerful ways, that can be threatening to you. And sometimes that's kind of behind the motivation to to, to squalch these gifts, to not have them there. We want a Christianity that's nice and neat and compartmentalized and is easily controllable. And many times they even go further and they say, look, we don't even want any kind of emotional stuff. Emotions are hard to control. You get people crying, you get people laughing, you get people happy, and, 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 and we can't control that. So we don't want in this church any sort of big emotional stuff. We don't want people getting too excited. We want a cerebral Christianity, a safe Christianity, a controllable kind of Christianity. And they roll out all the gifts. And then sometimes they try to theologize that. They, they find a th- theological backing to justify that position. A passage they use most frequently, and I want to talk about it because it comes up an awful lot. This is just sort of a little Bible study here. It's found in 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. I, at least a couple times a year, a year, run into people who use this passage in, in this way. They use this passage to say that the gifts aren't for today. All the supernatural stuff, that was just back uh, for the Apostles' time. It's not for us today. In this passage, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, Paul says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now we see, verse 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the argument that they try to make is that the perfection here refers to the Bible. And so when the Bible is completed which occurred in the first century, the gifts, tongues and prophecy, are supposed to cease. The gifts were used, they argue, in the early church, but aren't aren't needed today because we have the Bible. And that's all we're supposed to to go on. Let me give three short responses to that, okay? What are you going to say? No? (laughs) I'm in the pulpit. Number one... It's simply erroneous to to say that the gifts ceased in the end of the first century. These, These pneumaticoi, these spiritual gifts, continued on into the second century, third century, and fourth century. In fact, you find throughout church history groups of people that have, to some degree, moved in these gifts and exercised these gifts. And today, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians who believe that these gifts are for today and find these gifts in operation. I myself have seen these gifts used in very, very beneficial ways Uh, in a a number of different contexts. So it's very hard to say that the gifts ceased in the first century when they're going on all over the place. A second point is that it's just very hard to argue. In fact, it's impossible to argue that what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians 13 with his word perfection was that he, he was referring to the Bible. Consider just several things. First of all, the fundamental, the primary meaning of any text is the meaning it would have had to the original audience. But the Corinthians could not possibly have been thinking about the future completed Bible when Paul wrote this. They didn't know about that. So whatever Paul means by perfection, he doesn't. He's not referring to the Bible. A second thing is this: Paul says that not only will knowledge, or that not only will, will tongues and prophecy cease when perfection comes, he says knowledge will cease, right there in the text. But knowledge hasn't ceased. In fact, Paul says we now know in part. But then we'll know even as we are known. We'll know fully. But we still know in part, don't we? We still see through a glass darkly. We see a a, a reflection. We don't understand all things. There's still a lot that's a a mystery to us. We do know in part, but we don't see Christ face to face. And for those reasons, I don't think Paul can be referring to perfection or or referring to the Bible with with his word perfection in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 or, or, or chapter 13. The final point is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says that part of the reason why he's writing to the Corinthians is so that they come behind so that they lack no gift until the Lord comes back. He doesn't want the Corinthians to lack any spiritual gift until the Lord returns, which tells us that the perfection isn't the completion of the Bible. The perfection is what we shall be when the Lord comes back for us. When we're in heaven, we're not going to need to prophesy anymore because we're going to know all things immediately. When we're in heaven, we're not going to need the gift of healing anymore because we're going to be perfectly healthy. But in the meantime, things still are in a screwed-up state, and we need the gifts. In the meantime, we've got a job to do, and the gifts are part of the way that we do it. We saw last week that the purpose of the gifts, the, all the gifts of the Spirit, including the pneumatic koi, the gifts of the Spirit are part of Christ's spoil from the enemy. It's part of Christ's plunder. He took back from the enemy and gave to the church some of the supernatural power. And we are to use that in making headway in the kingdom of God, coming against the kingdom of darkness. The purpose of the gifts is to equip the church. The purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. The purpose of the gifts are, is to energize the church and to strengthen the church. The purpose of the gifts is to equip the army of God to do the warfare that we're called to do. And that is as crucial for us today to have as it was in the first century. We're still fighting the enemy. We need the gifts. The purpose of the gifts are, are, is for Christ just to bless the, 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 the church with all sorts of weaponry that we need to carry out the ministry that we're called to do. If you take away the, the pneumaticoi, take away the, the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, and you're going to have a church that is to a large degree a crippled army. Take away the supernatural dimension of the church, and you have a, a, a church that has to fight a supernatural enemy, basically in, in, in natural terms. Take away the gifts of the spirit. Take away all the the dimension of the supernatural. Take away all the things that you can't control. Take away the emotion. And you end up with a theoretical, largely dry, largely ineffective, and largely powerless church that can't as effectively carry out the ministry that Christ calls us to carry out. We need the gifts. And Paul would not have spent this much time on these spiritual gifts if the whole thing was supposed to cease in, in 30 or 40 years. So what do you do with the flakiness? What do we do about the ness, the the, uh, leap of faith people? What do you do about the manipulation? What do you do about all the crazy and sometimes abusive things that have gone on in the name of these spiritual gifts? In a word, I'd just say this. That if people would use these gifts in accordance with the way that the Bible teaches we should use the gifts, you never have any of that kind of abusive, self-serving stuff going on. The problem is not the gifts. The, problems are, the problem is the way that some people have used the gifts in, unbiblical, in an unbiblical manner. I want to look briefly at the way Paul responds to the Corinthian church and their abuse of the spiritual gifts and apply that model to the church today. Um, you know, the, the Corinthian church was a flaky church by anyone's standard. They'd get together and they'd all speak in tongues at the same time. They'd get together they'd all prophesy together at the same time. These were people who were getting together and during communion were getting drunk. Uh, not the most spiritually mature church in the world. They had their head deacon who was sleeping with his stepmother. They had some major problems here. So let's look at how Paul responds to them. First of all, note, in Paul, Paul's response, and, and you'd have to read all of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, 13 and 14 to get the gist of this. I'm going to just summarize it. First of all, I want us to know that Paul does not respond to their abuse of the gifts by saying, therefore, we shouldn't have any gifts. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He doesn't overreact. What he tries to do is to bring balance to the, the Corinthian church. We are in desperate need of balance in the church today. You know, my wife and I found this when we were you know, looking for a church when we first moved out here to Minnesota, and it's easy to find a church that's really fired up using the gifts and has great worship and stuff, And it's easy to find a church that really is is into the Word and has solid biblical teaching, but it's very hard to find a church that does both, that balances spirit and truth. Either get people swinging from the chandeliers, or you get people who are just dry, but they know the Bible really good. But to put them together is a hard thing to do, but that's exactly what Paul does in these three chapters with the the Corinthians. He doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He tries to bring balance to them. In fact, Paul warns, I want want you to hear this, Paul warns against overreacting and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He says in the end of chapter 14, verse 39, don't forbid people to speak in tongues. It's as though he's saying, look at you, Corinthians, I'm, I, I, I put some nice common sense boundaries around the way you speak in tongues and stuff, but don't interpret me to mean that I'm not for tongues. He says in 14, 18, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I use my head when I'm in church. And so he draws up some boundaries about how it's supposed to be used in church. But he doesn't say, therefore, don't have any, any kind of tongues. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells the Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit, don't stifle the spirit, and don't have contempt towards prophecies. Rather, try all things. 5.21, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Try all things, test all things, hold fast to that which is good, and reject everything that's evil. He's saying that when someone has a prophecy, use your head, discernment, it's, it may be of God, it may not be of God, but don't rule out all prophecies just because some of them aren't of God. Paul, throughout these, these chapters, is affirmative of the spiritual gifts. He's affirmative. In 12.31, 1 Corinthians 12.31, he tells the Corinthians, be desirous for spiritual gifts, especially for the ones that are most beneficial to the church. Desire them. In fourteen verse 1. He, he, again, he tells them to seek after spiritual gifts. And again, in 14.39, he tells them to be zealous for spiritual gifts. That's not a bad thing. The enthusiasm of the Corinthians wasn't a bad thing. Their their desire to be used of God to do supernatural stuff was not a bad thing. How they used it, the way they abused it, was sometimes a bad thing, and Paul corrects that, but he doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He he strikes a balance here. And so it is with us. I I, I guess the word that we could receive from Paul here is this. Don't let the abuses and the self-serving, manipulative, power-control things that have sometimes been done in the name of these gifts ruin you from being used with these gifts because they can be beautiful and they can be wonderful if they're used in a biblical way. Don't let the enemy use those abuses to spoil your own thinking about this. Try to throw that off and go to what the Word of God has for you. A second thing Paul says is this. I've got to hurry this. And the most important thing he says is this. He says, whatever, whatever you do in terms of exercising these spiritual gifts must be done in the context of love. He puts 1 Corinthians 13, which is the, 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 the center scriptural teaching on love, right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. This is probably where 13 would always fit, but, but he, 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 he puts that. No, he 13 comes after 14. But he says this love has to characterize whatever you do love has to be the fuel for the exercise of the spiritual gifts love has to be the motive for the exercise of the spiritual gifts and love has to be the result of the exercise of the spiritual gifts in chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 he says this if you speak in all sorts of wonderful eloquent tongues whether it's of human languages or of angelic languages but you don't do it in love it's nothing it's worse than nothing you're just making a bunch of noise And even if you have the best prophecy in the world and you've got a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom that astounds people and you can do miracles and you can do healing in the power of God, if you don't have love behind it, if love's not fueling it, and if love isn't the result of it, it's nothing. It's less than nothing. It counts for zero, zippo, nadia. I can't think of any other word for zero. Love has got to be the end all of the spiritual gifts. You never find, you never find the spiritual gifts, these pneumaticoi, being used in the Bible in a way that isn't loving. They're never used to shame people. They're never used to manipulate people. They're never used in a self-serving way. They're never used to control people. They're always done for the common good, for the good of the whole, to build people up. If that principle alone was followed in the the working of the spiritual gifts, you wouldn't have the craziness going on that sometimes you find going on uh, in the name of these spiritual gifts. A third thing Paul says is this. Whatever is done must be done in you, uh, to promote unity in the church. Promote unity in the church. The Corinthians got this idea that uh, tongues, was, uh, speaking in tongues in foreign languages was, was sort of the, the supreme gift. And so they'd come together and they kind of would compete with one another in speaking in tongues. And that, that, that's very divisive. That's very divisive because what happens if you don't have the gift of tongues? All of a sudden you're a second-class Christian. Some of that's going on today. The idea that, that if, if you don't speak in tongues, you have less of the Holy Spirit than those who do speak in tongues, and, and, and your prayers aren't as effective as those people who speak in tongues, and that causes divisions. Churches have split over this sort of thing. The tongue talkers and the non-tongue talkers, and it ought not to be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, read that passage carefully, this whole analogy of the body is for the purposes of, uh, of coming against that. He says there's one spirit And that one spirit, that one mind, is what inspires all the gifts. There's one Lord, there's one church, and there's one body. And the Holy Spirit governs the whole thing. And he gives gifts as he desires to give gifts. But not everybody has all the gifts. In fact, nobody has all the gifts. And Paul ends chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, by saying, look is everyone a teacher? Is everyone an apostle? Is everyone an evangelist? Is everyone a healer? Does everyone speak in tongues? Does everyone interpret tongues? Does everyone prophesy? No. But God gives gifts as he wills. And what's so important for the body is to see this. That the eye can never say to the mouth, I don't need you. And the mouth can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can never say to the foot, I don't need you. Or I'm more important than you. A healthy body needs all of its members using its own particular functions to contribute to the whole. And so it is with the body of Christ. When that's seen and when we operate out of love, the spiritual gifts promote unity. They don't bring division. The final thing that Paul says here is this, a very important thing. In in chapter 14, verse 40, he says, Let everything be done in a fitting and orderly way. Let everything be done in a fittingly orderly way. I want you to note that he says, let everything be done. A lot of people are really big on the fitting and orderly part, but they don't get the stuff that you're supposed to be orderly with. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. The word there means in an appropriate kind of way. And so you see Paul in a very, in a, in a very tender way, but yet strong in, in, in this passage of Scripture, telling the Corinthians, giving them some idea of what decently and, and in order would mean for them. For example, as I said before, they were coming together and everyone was speaking in tongues at the same time. Paul says, you know, Corinthians, wake up a little bit here. Verse 23 of chapter 14. He says, look, at, just think here. If someone comes in who's not a believer and doesn't know what you're doing, what are they going to think? They're going to think you guys are all crazy out to lunch and that's not a good testimony for Christ so stifle yourself if you want to speak in tongues on your own do it Paul says I do it more than all of you but when I'm in church I don't do it all the time in fact in church you shouldn't draw attention to yourself what with your speaking in tongues you're taking up everyone else's time you're getting blessed but no one else knows what you're talking about don't do that Unless there's somebody there who has the gift of interpretation. So Paul is just bringing some common sense rules to the way that they speak in tongues. He brings common sense rules to the way that they prophesy. For example, don't do it all at the same time. You would think people would know that, but the Corinthians didn't. Uh, he says do it one at a time, and let not more than three in a, in a service. So he, he brings common sense, decency, and order to the way that they use the spiritual gifts. Let me just throw out here... Uh, just, just end by, by giving you a little understanding of, of uh, or some, sharing with you our understanding of what decency and an order means for Woodland Hills here, okay? In January, we disclosed three different aspects to Christians' life in the early church. We saw that they met in the, they met in the temple court experiences when all the Christians would come together and they'd celebrate, right, the temple court experiences, we saw that they, they met frequently, maybe on a daily basis, in each other's homes. And that was the primary unit of the early church. They had house churches. And then they had their own individual ministries that they, that they would carry out. Paul going here, Peter going there, Jesus going there. Well, That was in the early church. That was before the early church, but same principle. You find the gifts of the Spirit in the early church, in the Bible, always used in the second or third context, never in the first. The gifts of the Spirit are used when they get together in small groups because there they are very effective. The gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, healing, are are interpersonal gifts. And if I know you and you know me and we have a safe context, the gifts of the Spirit operate very well there. You're able to discern things in a small group context. Paul says when someone prophesies in 14, 14, I forget the verse, chapter 14, he says when someone prophesies, discern what is being said. He uses the word katakrino, which means to discriminate. You can only do that if you know the person. Is, is this person credible, or maybe are they a little emotionally imbalanced? In a small group, you can do that, but in a large group. You never find the gifts of the Spirit, these pneumatic koi being used in, in, in a temple court experience. And the reason is this. When all the Christians come together I, I, occasionally in a temple court experience to worship God in, in, or whatever, The purpose there is to praise God in unison, and the purpose purpose is to proclaim God's word. The primary purpose is not interpersonal ministry because most people don't know each other. And in that context, if someone stands up and says, thus says the Lord, we're supposed to move to Chaska or whatever, we don't know this person, or we may not know this person, you don't know this person, so everyone's left saying, well, what are we supposed to do? There's no way of discerning that. You see what I'm saying? For all we know, this person could have just got out of uh, you know, Ramsey psych ward and, and wandered into this place. And so the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in the Bible are always used in a small group experience. You know, the church at Corinth was a house church. We know from archaeology that it couldn't have been any larger than 30 or 40 people. Uh, up until the second century, uh, they didn't have separate buildings for, for churches. And in that kind of context, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit worked very well. Also, in terms of personal ministry, you look at the ministry of Peter, you look at the ministry of Paul, look at the ministry of Jesus, which is, I think, the paradigm for this. The gifts of the Spirit flow through them. They use the gifts of the Spirit to, to, to do the ministry that God calls them to do. And in that context, they work very well. So our, in our understanding, for the most part, the primary reason why we get together on Sundays is to worship God as a whole and to proclaim God's Word. Interpersonal ministry takes place in small groups context, And it's in that context that the gifts of the Spirit are used very effectively. They have the most powerful positive effect there. The damage that can be done is very little if someone's operating in an unbiblical way. Whereas in contrast to a large group, the damage uh, p- potential is, is very great. If someone receives a word that they really believe is for the whole church, the, 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 the church as a whole in our large gathering, we want to discern it. And so we ask that it, 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 it be submitted to the leadership. And so that we can do what Paul says we ought to do with prophecies or whatever, and that is to discern it. And and we've had that happen, and a couple times we've published them in Connections or in um, our our idea thing, because we believe it was a good word for the whole church. My encouragement to you, we'll we'll, we'll continue this next week. We're going to talk in more detail about how to begin to be open to these gifts and and what each one in particular means. my, my, My challenge to you is this. Begin to be open to God as to what, what gift God might want to use you in. Paul says be zealous to be used of God in any way you can. Be, be zealous. Just say, God, use me however you want. And if you want to use me with these pneumaticoi, with these spiritual gifts, be open to it. Don't let the fear that maybe is accrued from past experience block out that opportunity that God might want to use you with. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for all your gifts. We thank you for all your people, Lord God. We are a body that you are fashioning together, and we understand, Lord, we know, we are confident that you in your infinite wisdom know just who to give what gifts to to make this, Lord, a, an army that is empowered in it, with a supernatural energy to do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, guard us. Guard us from fear. Guard us from error, Lord. Heal those who have maybe had bad experiences in this area. Heal them from that abuse, Lord, that they might be able, Lord God, to be open to you if it be your desire to begin to use them with these gifts. And in all this, Lord God, build your church, unify your church, strengthen your church, energize your church, and pour out your spirit on your church. In your name we pray.